What's going on, Jets fans? Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast presented by Amazon Web Services. Dan Grassa and Greg Buttle hanging out with you this afternoon. And Greg, always good to reacquaint ourselves. How are you? Oh, Danny boy, the pipes. I'm learning how to sing, Dan. There's nothing else better to do to sit around in your own house with nothing else better to do. You can't sing in the shower all day because you, your, your skin gets messed up. Quarantine life, 2020. That's what we're living right now. But I mean, people should know you have a singing background. We've talked about it on our pre and post game shows. This was something that was part of your history, is it not? Yes, Barbershop Quartet uh, was a p- big part of my history. And uh, I was in musicals throughout high school. So I had a blast. I was in the choir and all that stuff. But the, the, the real fun was singing in a barbershop quartet. And there was not one person I ever met in the society uh, that was not a good person. And he is not kidding, folks. He is being 100 percent honest. That's what he did during his days at Penn State. And you would think that, you know, this big, fierce, intimidating linebacker who went on to have a great career in the NFL, All-American in college. But no, he does have the barbershop quartet on the resume. And, you know, I heard that you were one of the uh, the captains, the, the driving force behind that group. Have you stayed in touch with any of those guys today? Actually, uh, just one of them, uh, my college roommate, uh, Jim Rosecrans, uh, he and I, he and I really got into it because he liked to sing and I liked to sing. But really what put us over the edge to say we should join is that when we got there, we met the guy that owned the beer distributorship and we got free beer. So that was the best thing when you're 18 years old and in college, free beer. <laughs> The perks of being in the barbershop quartet, and you played it to your advantage, certainly. But uh, we continue quarantine life, of course, with everything that we're going on uh, around the world, the pandemic, the coronavirus. So first off, I just want to see how you're doing, you and the family, everybody holding up well at the uh, the Buttle Estate. Well, there's always good and bad when it comes to the quarantine. And uh, like I get to know my wife better. She gets to know me better. And that's the bad part. <laughs> anyway, you, 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 you learn how to get out of everybody's way because you're on top of each other. You, you, how big can your house be? And if you're, a, if you're a, a zillionaire like the Grassa family is, there's a plenty of room so you can hide in. But me, I, I'm in a small, I'm a fixed income now, so it's a hard thing. Well, the funny thing about it is, and I was just thinking about this, not too long ago, you moved, you know, you downsized a little bit because the kids were a little bit older, you know, they left the nest and that sort of thing. Now, if you had known then that you would be in this lockdown situation for a period of time, do you think you still would have went ahead with the move? Absolutely. Best thing I've ever done. I I don't need, you don't need a lot of house. You just need a a bedroom, a kitchen and a bathroom. (laughs) And a TV. <laughs> oh, you have to have a TV. Have a TV. The TV is very important. Yeah, that's 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 most important. Imagine, think about this though. Can you imagine a quarantine back in pre two thousand when there was no internet? You're not allowed to go golf. You can't go to church. You can't do anything, and you have no internet. Oh my God, what would happen? I, I I couldn't imagine it. You know, it's like the, it might as well be the dark ages compared to what we have at our disposal right now. So, yeah, you know, things could be worse. And 
You know, on a serious note, though, the funny thing about it is, it's like we sit here and look, everybody wishes we could resume our normal lives and go out and do the things that we're accustomed to doing, whether it's work, just going out to dinner, anything that, you know, going to the park, anything there. But, you know, the the curve does seem to be flattening, at least if we follow along with the reports from our, you know, health officials and so on and so forth, that, you know, things are starting to look up and, you know, the cool thing about it, Greg, is that we, you know, all have a hand in this thing. If we do our part, if we stay home, you do the social distancing and whatnot, that we're all going to have a hand in beating this thing as fast as possible. And we can go back to doing what we're all accustomed to doing. And that is, you know, sports and in our case here, football. And that's hopefully the direction that we're going to be heading in soon. Well, direction that the NFL is going soon, of course, is the annual NFL draft, which thankfully we have, despite everything we have going on in our world right now. And that is going to be next week. And it's going to be a draft unlike ones we've ever seen before. Everything is going to be done virtual, much like the world that we live in right now. And Greg, I think it's no secret that when you think about the NFL draft and the significance that it has in terms of building that winner, building that sustained success, you know, free agency is nice and it gets a lot of attention and a lot of money's flying around. But the foundation of any good football team is through the draft. And I think that all Jet fans are a little bit excited and eager to see what Joe Douglas has in store, given that this is going to be the first draft that he runs as the man in charge of the Jets football operations. Well, if, if, if the offseason is any indication, uh, I mean, last year at the season, he was behind the gun. Now he's in front of the gun. So I, I, I think the, the opportunity for Joe Douglas to uh, – really put his stamp on what, what's going on with the New York Jets and their talent acquisition uh, was pretty good so far in the offseason. Um, taking care of the offensive line the way he did, um, uh, not disrupting the apple cart in, in certain areas and uh, totally changing in others. So what remains to be seen is what are the pickings going to be for Joe Douglas in the draft? I, I, I think in my personal opinion, what he did was is he he really has set the Jets up where they don't have to grab an offensive lineman. They don't have to chase an, uh, an, an offensive lineman. They can get somebody that's available as opposed to, I'm going to move up and get that guy. I think they, he solidified the offensive line enough that they don't need to do that. Yet, if one of those guys is available, he can always take them. Right. I think it's a case of where you don't necessarily have to reach or maybe draft for need per se, because as you said, the Jets were active in free agency and bringing in some new pieces to that offensive line. The Connor McGoverns, George Fans, Greg Van Roten bringing back an Alex Lewis. So you have some guys there already on that line. But I think any good football talent executive is going to tell you that, you know, you believe in your board. You trust what your scouting department has done. You know, you look to your board and see how you have these guys slotted regardless of position and you're going to take the best player available here and if that just so happens to be an offensive lineman when the Jets are on the clock at number 11 then they're going to take that guy but as you said I don't think that they're necessarily you know you have to take that offensive lineman it could be wide receiver could be corner who knows I think they're going to take the best player available and Jets are going to have eight picks to work with here. You have four in the top 80, which I think is pretty exciting. So it gives you some flexibility as to what you can do. But let's start by talking about that first round selection. And look, trades could happen. They can move up. You can move down. You never know what's going to transpire here uh, over the next few days or even on draft night itself. But right now, the Jets are slotted to pick number 11. 
offensive tackle certainly is uh, a position that the Jets are maybe going to key. Uh, Could be a wide receiver as well. This is a very, very deep class when you talk about the wide receiver position, as deep as it's been in years, as you hear all the so-called experts tell us. But, you know, one thing I keep coming back to, Greg, and I want to get your take on this. You know, you think about the comments that Joe Douglas made on that conference call not too long ago that, you know, he talked about Sam Darnold and with Sam being the franchise quarterback now heading into year number three. And he said that when he first met Sam's parents, that he made a promise to them, I'm going to do everything I can to protect your son, make sure he's as successful as possible. So there are a couple of ways that you could go about doing that. You already saw all the reinforcements to the offensive line. Maybe it could be a skill position player, but I think that offense would probably be the side of the ball that we're all expecting the Jets to go at number 11. Uh, I, I would think so. If, if you if you take a look at what the Jets don't need, okay, don't need a running back, don't need a quarterback, don't need a tight end, uh, at least offensive lineman or wide receiver. Don't really need an offensive lineman because I've gotten a lot of stuff in the offseason. But if Tristan Wirfs was available, I think I'd take him. So my thing is, is that you take a look at some of the guys that are there and then you, you, you try to validate the worth. Is it worth it for me to go up and take that offensive lineman that's available? Or do I take, uh, I don't know, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma because he's available. That, then you look at it and you go, well, I've got enough lo- off on offensive linemen. I can make sh- do with this but I need an offensive wide receiver. Those are the good options that you have. You can always obviously trade up if you want to or trade down. Uh, but now you can, you can really, uh, you, you don't have to underreach. You don't have to underreach and you don't have to overreach. You can make a decision that's sound and, and it only makes your team better. It's not a reach to make your team better. Well, when you look at the offensive tackles, okay, Jedrick Wills from Alabama, Worfs, as you mentioned, Greg, from Iowa, Makai Becton from Louisville, and Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Those are the consensus four top guys. And then after those four, there's a little bit of a drop off. So the question you have to ask yourself, and I'm sure that, you know, look, every team in the NFL, all 32 teams, when they have their board, I'm sure that you can probably find as many different combinations to how each team ranks those four tackles. Like one team might have Andrew Thomas ranked number one and Tristan Wirfs fourth. Some team might have Makai Becton ranked number one and Wills fourth or something like that. But, you know, we don't know how the Jets draft board looks right now. And I think that the question that they're going to be faced with, let's just say, for argument's sake, when the Jets are on the clock at number 11, if three of those four tackles are already off the board and there's one guy who's still there, you know, Where is he rated on the Jets board? That's what I think the question is going to come down to. So if they have one offensive tackle to choose from, or potentially you can have any of those top three wide receivers. You mentioned C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy from Alabama, Henry Ruggs from Alabama. So are you then faced with a decision of do we take the potentially fourth ranked offensive tackle or maybe the number one wide receiver in this draft in, and I'll repeat myself again, a wide receiver class, which is as deep as any we've seen in so many years. And then you could potentially, Greg, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, get a first round caliber wide receiver, maybe even in the second round. 
that's, I think, the tricky dilemma here if you're the Jets. Yeah, but here's, here's, the, uh, here, here's, here's the way that you, you manipulate the trick. I'm taking the best wide receiver I can get if he's available. That's the trick. And saying, that guy's going to, I'm plugging him in. That, that's, the, that's the thing about the first round. You cannot draft somebody that you can't plug in and make them play. And you can't make a guy play that's not capable. The Jets have done that in the past where they've drafted people that all of a sudden they just didn't pan out the way they, they wanted them to pan out. And uh, you can go back to uh, Ohio State University uh, for, for one of them, but as recent as in the 2000s. But my thing is, is that, look, uh, you know me, uh, they, they've weaponized the wide receiver position. And so I want the best, fastest wide receiver that catches the ball with his hands that that's in, on the draft board. That would be me. Now, if again, if Tristan Wirfs was available, because I think that guy's that that guy's number one on on the offensive lineman, athletic, balanced. He's played many sports. Uh, he's fast. He's got a thirty-six inch vertical jump. That's that's ridiculous. Getting three hundred and twenty pounds off the off the ground, three feet. What are you nuts? That guy's pretty good to me. Ah, that guy I would take if he was if he was available. And if I really needed that offensive tackle, maybe I'd trade up for him. But I don't think that's going to be he's going to be available. I don't think that's what the Jets are going to do. So I always look back at two things: wide receivers. You said it. There's a lot of them in there. But now I can get the, the my guy. I can get him uh, it, with with the eleven. I believe you can get that guy with number eleven. Uh, don't forget. Jets are in need of a cornerback. Now the Jets drafted Darrell Rivas and got an, a, a, an all-time player. And I don't think anyone believed Darrell Rivas was an all-time player when they drafted him. I think they believed, boy, this guy's got really sound uh, uh, athletic abilities. He can play. But boy, I'll tell you what, in the NFL, he shined in the NFL and he made it, he made the cornerback position different. And, uh, a lot different than uh, uh, a Sanders or uh, even a Mel Blunt. The guy was just spectacular. So when you take a look at it, there are some cornerbacks that, hey, you don't have to reach for them, but they're going to be there. Jeff Okuda from Ohio State. You got uh, Henderson from Florida. Those are the two guys who probably have separated themselves from the bunch at the cornerback position. And you're right. I think that's another area that the Jets could look to address here. I mean, they brought in Pierre Desir here in free agency, but maybe still a little thin as a whole when you look at that depth. And certainly that's going to be another area that maybe they look to beef up here next week during the draft. You're listening to the official Jets podcast presented by Amazon Web Services. Dan Grasa, Greg Buttle, spending some time with you here. So the 2020 draft is going to take place here in just a few days. But Greg, you came into the league in the 1976 NFL draft. I'm sure you have some pretty cool stories to share and a little uh, tidbit for all the fans out there. 1976 was actually the last year that the draft featured 17 rounds. Following season, the draft would move to 12 rounds. Now we know, of course, we only have seven. But things were a bit different back then when he came into the league. What do you remember about that day? Well, uh, I'll start it like this. First of all, as you know, I, I played at Penn State. And I was a huge Pittsburgh Steeler fan at the time. And, of course, uh, my Penn State one hero was Jack Ham. 
pretty good football player out of Penn State, went on to play with the Steelers and, you know, did what he did. Uh, I, I would say as good a linebacker as you could ever get. And I wanted to be drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So draft day comes around and uh, all the teams will, will call you. They send you letters. They talk to you. They're scouts and everything else. So Steelers were one of them. And uh, it, it, it comes to pass that um, I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm watching and uh, as, as the Jets select me, and I'm and I'm very depressed. I'm depressed that I can't believe it. I'm not going to the Steelers. I could play opposite Jack Ham uh, at outside linebacker, and uh, you know, and, and go on to play for a team that is already in the playoffs. And now I'm going to play for the Jets, who really are terrible. I mean, terrible. I hate Namath because I was a Baltimore Colt fan when I was a kid, and so I'm going to probably the worst place that you could possibly go. If you if you had a choice, the Jets would have been the last team I wanted to choose. So I'm so depressed, and it's all the way up to mini camp, and they uh, they bring me in, they give me a physical. I don't meet anybody but the doctors, and then I go back to mini camp, and and that's where the so called stuff hit the fan, and I met a guy by the name of Walt Michaels, and little did I know that Walt Michaels could coach. And he taught me how to play linebacker in the NFL. And to this day, I credit him with me even being able to play nine years in the NFL. The guy was that good. Someone that can tell you and show you the correct way to do it and not just spit it out. But he played the game for the Browns. He's all pro at linebacker for the, for the Browns. He understood that the, the, the linebackers, what they had to do. He was more about getting the job done than doing it a, a certain way. And uh, I, I think that was the best part about it. I, I had uh, Dan Radakovich became a, the, the, the Jets linebacker coach in my final year. Uh, he was very good. A little different in the way he was coaching. Uh, he was more technique and that type of stuff. Walt Michaels was more about results, and he could show you how to get results. And to this day, uh, if it wasn't for Walt Michaels, I wouldn't have played that long in the NFL. So what I was really depressed about became the thing I was most happy about. I had the best advantage to play in the NFL because I, I thought I had the best coach who taught me more about the game in sitting with them in one week than I'd ever learned before. And who would have thought, see, way all those years ago, if you had only known, if you were taken by the Pittsburgh Steelers, then you and I probably are not sitting here right now doing this podcast. You and I wouldn't get to work together on Sundays doing the games. And, you know, our friendship never would have gotten off the ground. So things happen, I think, for a reason and things happen for the better, Greg. And I think you're proof positive of that. You were a third round pick, 67th overall. Now, interestingly enough, if you look at that Jet draft class, your comrades in 1976, Richard Todd was the first round pick that year, who, of course, was the Jet quarterback for a number of years. You guys went to the championship game, of course, there in 82. You had Abdul Salam, who was taken in the seventh round. He became part of the New York Sack Exchange. And I don't know how many fans know this, but do you remember, Greg, in the 12th round, the Jets selected a pair of twins, one pick apart from another, Don and Dave Bucky, 
both from North Carolina State. Did you remember that? No, oh, yeah, the Buckies. I played against them, and they were they were selected because Lou Holtz was the head coach, and he liked those two guys to play with them. And Lou Holtz had some vision of running the Veer option in the NFL, which you know you you couldn't run the Veer option with Joe Namath. You might be able to run it with some of the quarterbacks they have now, uh, and and you can see how the 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 RPOs are all run today. Uh, but in those days, you didn't have that type of quarterback to run that. It wasn't about the back, it wasn't about the lineman. It was about your quarterback and the ability for them to do that. And certainly, Joe Namath in his uh, 12th year at the Jets at the time or his 10th year at the Jets uh, w- with no offensive line, nobody around him to help him, he wasn't running any type of veer. But, yes, I played against him in college for uh, three years. Dave was actually cut by Lou Holtz, who was the coach in 76, so he never made it here. But Don had a few games uh, as your teammate there with the New York Jets. So we'll see which new members are going to be added to the Jets family, of course, in the 2020 draft. That's coming up in just a few days here. And, you know, the interestingly enough, if you think about, you know, what's going to happen after the NFL draft, normally you get into the offseason program and you have OTAs and then, of course, minicamp, and that takes into the summer But because of everything going on with the coronavirus, we're not going to have the in-person on-field activities. So the NFL uh, has put out a memo in conjunction with the Players Association to where essentially this is going to be a virtual offseason where everything is going to have to be conducted kind of, you know, via the Skypes and the Zooms and everything from home, pretty much like we've been doing right now. And I think, Greg, that if you look at a team like the New York Jets, I think that they do have an edge heading into this whole process. Why? Because they have a coaching staff which is returning. They have a system already in place which is coming back from another year. I think that the teams that have new head coaches that are trying to install new systems, both offensively and defensively, and they don't get that in-person teaching, I think they're the ones that are hamstrung a little bit here as we enter this uncharted territory. Well, you make a good point that it's hard enough uh, with a new coaching staff to come in there and – elicit the best play out of all the players that you could possibly have when you don't even know about them. So at least the Jets and all the coaching staffs that have been around for years have that advantage going into the thing. Not that no one could coach, but it's, it, there really is a, is, is a lot to be said about who the people are that you have playing for you and working for you. Remember, a lot of new coaches don't even know their coaches. They just, they, they're grabbing the guy because someone told him you should grab that guy. He's looking for a job. They don't know who they are. Uh, there are coaches, they, they do know who they are, and then it's an easy transition. But imagine a coach coming in not knowing the type of personality or character that are, are, uh, is in your locker room. Now you got to build that whole locker room, do you hope, to the way that you think it could be. Uh, so again, it's it's it. What people look at is they look at the locker room as a little piece, but it's not. It's a huge piece, and 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 how teams can win. Uh, it may not be a huge piece on uh, on on always winning, but it's a huge piece on becoming a winner. I think that's a good point you make too, and it's not so much necessarily the difficulty in doing installs with the X's and O's if you can't be on the field. But as you said, you know, the the off the field element, the locker room, the chemistry, trying to build that cohesive unit, that's something that you're going to have a harder time doing if you're not going to be in there being able to get that one-on-one experience. But from the player side of things, and look, I understand that the off seasons have changed, 
you know, versus when you played. But put yourself in their shoes now. If you had a regimen, if you had a routine that you stuck to in the offseason to get yourself ready for the season, how do you think that would have been complicated if you can't be there in person to be with your teammates, coaches, et cetera? Well, I would I would say in the offseason, I, I wouldn't think it is that uh, it, it would be bad other than the fact that you would be new, you're a rookie, or you have a new coaching staff. Other than that, you do what you do in the offseason, and you already know how to play the game. You, you already know what you've done bad. You, you, you have those experiences that you can take into a virtual uh, playbook or a virtual conversation. Uh, remember, virtual is a tool. It's just another tool for them to use. It, 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 has, it has merit, but it's still just a tool. The reality of it is that you've got to sit and talk and practice and work out with the guys, knowing everything, the coaches, get used to the coaches, sit and talk with the coaches, look them in the eye, see how the guy's talking to you. Does he really respect what he's talking about? Is he guessing? Is he grasping at straws? Does he understand how I feel, what my family's doing? There's a lot of these things that pull on people in the offseason that virtual can't tell you, but it's a tool. And it's a tool that when you can't do anything together, you've got to improvise and adjust. Well, as far as tools are concerned, Adam Gase, the head coach of the Jets, is going to have some more tools in the toolbox after the NFL draft finishes up. And that'll be from April 23rd to April 25th. Once again, the Jets with eight picks total and four of them take place in the top 80. So we'll see what direction Joe Douglas, his staff, go here to try to add some new helpers for this New York Jets football team in 2020 and beyond. Greg, this was fun as always. Let's do it again soon, my friend. All right, so listen, I'm just going to hold your feet to the fire before we get off. Yeah. Who do you want? Not the player, but what type of player do you want the Jets to draft in the first round? I know it's cliche, and I don't want to come off as if I'm trying to sound too cliched, but I am a big believer in honor your board, best player available. So when the Jets are there at number 11 – and when they had the players ranked one through 11, regardless of position, whatever that guy is, I say that's who you take. Because in my opinion, you can never have enough good football players, regardless of what position they play. And that's what I think Joe Douglas and his staff should do and will do. I might agree with you, but I disagree with you. I know you First want that round, wide receiver. You want the wide receiver. I want that guy. I want that wide receiver. Man, let me tell you something. You 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 can you want the best wide receiver you can get. But me, that's what I want. I mean, I can I can build best athletes behind the number one draft pick. But that number one guy, he's got to produce for me. He's got to produce points. He's got to produce playing time. He's got to produce a lot, and he's got to have great upside. That's all I'm saying. Last Pro Bowl player that the Jets drafted at the wide receiver position. You got to go all the way back to Keyshawn Johnson, who was taken first overall back in 1996. Greg, stay safe. We'll do this again soon, my friend, and enjoy the draft. Yeehaw, buddy. For Greg Buttle, this is Dan Grassa. Thanks for joining us on another installment of the official Jets podcast presented by Amazon Web Services. Be safe, everybody.